know about you, but I'm still a little full from Thanksgiving. Um, and had a, a very uh, happy Thanksgiving with my family. I hope that however you celebrated Thanksgiving, it was a good one for you as well. Uh, we are definitely moving into the holiday season. There is no getting around that. The holiday season is upon us. We were out uh, somewhere a couple of weeks ago, and uh, whatever shopping center we were in um, already had their Christmas lights up, and Sarah was very upset about that, very aghast. It was not time for that yet, but there's there's no putting it off any longer. Uh, the holidays are here, and uh, the, the Christmas holidays in particular conjure up for us, as Jeffrey mentioned a, a few minutes ago, uh, kind of a mixed bag of feelings for some of us. Um, for some of us, this season is full of joy and cheer. Uh, for some of us, this season is very difficult and filled with hardship. So I want to take some, um, create some space and just take a few moments, so we'll see how this goes, and uh, invite you into audience participation mode, all right? Uh, and uh, just want to, as we enter into the holiday season as a church, and as we enter into Advent together as a community, I just want to hold some space for us to acknowledge how we feel. So maybe this morning, as you think about Advent, as you think about Christmas, and as you think about the holiday season, uh, you are very happy and you're full of joy today and, and your feelings um, run along those lines. Maybe today um, there's some trepidation, some anxiety. Maybe your feelings run along those lines. I just want to give us a, a moment to voice that. So um, I, I, let me just ask you today, as we head into the holidays, how are you feeling? What feelings are on your heart today? Do you have feelings today? <laughs> A lot to do. A little overwhelming. Okay. Say that again. Grief. All right. Joy and anticipation. All right. What was that? Thankful. Mm. All right, that's real. Tension between giving and materialism. All right. Excited to plan for family to be together. Excited for gatherings. All right. Well, however you feel, uh, about the holiday season, if you are come into them with grief, if you come into them with trepidation, if you come into them with anxiety, if you come into them with depression, if you come into them with joy, if you come into them with excitement, if you come into them with anticipation, however you come into the holiday season, we want to hold space for that. All of those feelings are valid. All of them are welcome here. 
not looking to change your mind about any of those things. For those of you who hurt this season, we want to be a people who hurt alongside of you. For those of you who are, are joy-filled this season, we want to celebrate alongside of you. For those of you who are lonely, we long to be present with you. For those of you who are busy, we long to help shoulder your load. Wherever you're at, please know that we want to be there with you. You're not alone. Christmas is coming. The holidays are upon us. But, of course, Christmas is not here yet. It, it may feel like that in the stores and with the decorations and as the movies show up on TV and, and uh, as the radio stations start to play their songs. But Christmas isn't here yet. And the church knows this. The church enters this week into Advent, which is a time of waiting, a time for patience, a time for reflection as we approach Christmas. And so we don't rush to Christmas yet. We will slowly approach Christmas. We will intentionally approach this season. And however we feel about the holidays, we come into Advent, and here in our time of reflection, we relearn how to patiently hope and how to be at peace in the midst of chaos, and how to cling tenaciously to joy and how to accept love. And so over the next four weeks, we want to talk about these things together as a community, beginning with hope. How do we hold on to hope? How do we patiently hope in the midst of the world around us? With everything that's going on, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's just hard to hope. There's brokenness around us. Sometimes that brokenness is in our own communities, in our own families, in our own self. We seem to live in, in, in an increasingly hopeless space. Or at least that is what we would be led to believe if all we ever looked at were, was the news. Uh, everything seems dark and dreary and dim and disgusting. How do we find hope? Where do we find hope in the midst of all of that? Where is our hope? Over the next few weeks, we want to spend some time looking at the prophet Isaiah. Uh, the readings for our Advent series are going to come from the lectionary, and all of them are in the prophet Isaiah. And if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to Isaiah chapter 2 this week, or the words will be behind me on the screen as well, if you prefer to read there. Uh, as Isaiah writes uh, in Isaiah uh, chapter 2, we're told uh, that he writes during the life of four kings of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, and over the time of these four kings, there are a lot of ups and downs in that nation, and honestly more downs than there are ups. Uh, over the, the course of the first three of those kings, uh, there is a diminishing sense of hope in Israel. To start with, things are 
fine. You know, nothing's awful, but, but nothing's really great either. Nothing to write home about. In fact, the biblical authors have nothing to say about the first of the four kings. They almost skip him. Nothing's great, nothing's terrible under his reign. The second king, they do have something to say. Things have gotten worse. Bad things are happening. The third, it's almost unbearable. Things are just sinking fast. There's an, an increasing sense of hopelessness. Hope is diminishing. And into that situation, Isaiah is written. And so in chapter 2, uh, verses 2, 3, 4, and 5, we find, um, we find Isaiah writing into a time where everything's just kind of okay, but not great, where people may need some hope. And here's what he writes. Isaiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that, we may, uh, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Into a, a world that is increasingly hopeless, where hope is diminishing, Isaiah writes these words. And, and these are words that, for me, are charged with hope. There's hope here in this passage, um, some, some hopes in particular that, as I read this, come to my mind. And I, I want to share them with you, some hopes that I believe are, are real because I have experienced them in my own life. Maybe you have as well. Maybe we just need to be reminded of that this morning. Or maybe you will hear these hopes for the very first time, and, and if that's the case, I hope that, that they are helpful to you. As Isaiah writes these passages, the first hope that I uh, am aware of as he writes is a hope that all people may come to the Lord. All people are welcome to come to God in this passage. The, the mountain of the Lord's house is raised up above all the hills, and all of the nations stream up to it and the people say come and let us go up to the house of the Lord that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths um, in, in Jewish thinking um, around this time it was understood that the mountain of the Lord Mount Zion where the temple sits at the top of Mount Zion in Jerusalem that that is for all intents and purposes, the center of the world. 
This is the center of the world. This is where God is. God has come into his dwelling here among his people in this particular place because he chose it. And, and it's here, from here, that, that God rules. So this is the center of the world. Not, not in a literal geographical sense, but, but in, the, in the sense of this is where God is. And so uh, the invitation then becomes all peoples to come up to the mountain, which is kind of a, a different thing for Isaiah to say. We might expect for Isaiah to say, no, only, only our people may come to the mountain of the Lord. Only, only our house, uh, only, only the Jewish people may come and know the Lord because he lives among us and we are his chosen people. But that's not what happens in Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah says that from now on, as the Lord is lifted up, all people may come, and that provides me with hope because otherwise I couldn't come. I'm filled with hope because I have been invited to come to the house of the Lord. There was a time when that wasn't true. I was without God. My identity was not found in him. But he has invited me to come to him, to come to his house, to, to come to know his son Jesus and to be filled with his Holy Spirit. And so I, like many peoples, like all peoples of this world, like you, and like our neighbors, may come up to his house and learn to walk in his ways, to walk in his paths. Now that, that, that geographical space no longer has the temple of God in it. Um, we cannot go to that physical building anymore, but the New Testament tells us that, that we are now God's dwelling place, that, that the church is his temple on earth, not in, a, not in a central location, but dispersed throughout the world. And, and so there is here in the church a place for all peoples, for every person, whoever you are, however you see yourself, whatever you believe, whatever your past has been, whatever your present is, there's a place for you. All peoples may come to the house of the Lord and there learn to walk in his ways. No one is excluded. And that fills me with hope because the world that we live in is often very exclusive. People are kept out. If you're not rich enough, if you're not strong enough, if you're not educated enough, if you're not, if you're not white enough, if you're not whatever enough, there are often barriers that are placed in our world. And that's not true in the church. All peoples may come. Bring your whole self. Bring your whole self to the, to the house of the Lord and be loved there. Bring your whole self and know that you are the child of God, beloved by your creator and made in his image. There is hope because everyone may come to the house of the Lord. There are other hopes here in this passage as well. Not only may everyone come up to the house of the Lord, but there is also a hope that I read in this passage because the word of the Lord then proceeds forth from his house. The nations stream into the house of the Lord, but the word of the Lord streams out from Zion. 
As this is the end of verse 3. It says, For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The people's come to God, but his instruction also flows out. And that's because not only do people come to God, but people flow out from there as well. The hope for the world is that Christians don't come into the house of God and then shelter in place. That's, that's not our calling, right? We're, we're not called to, to come into church and then treat the church like a bunker from civilization. We come into the church to be encouraged, to be equipped, to know the love of God, to experience the love of God, and then to go out from there back into our neighborhoods, back into our communities, back into our families, back into our workplaces, back into our city, with the love of God and the instruction of the Lord. There's hope not just for those who come up to the house of the Lord, but there is a hope for the world because the people of God are moving out into the world around us. Or at least we should be. We don't hide away from the world. We don't cower. But we boldly walk into the world with the good news of Jesus. I, I am reminded constantly of brothers and sisters who live in other places around the globe where it is dangerous to do what we do, physically dangerous to do what we do. And they do it anyway. Sometimes they worship in hiding, sometimes they worship in secret, sometimes they, um, they vary their, their worship times and spaces in order to try to maintain safety, but they are willing to risk because they know that the word of the Lord makes them bold and they must be bold witnesses in the places that they live. And sometimes that puts me to shame because I know how not bold I am in a place where I can do this without any fear of reprisal or repercussions. I keep Jesus to myself as I walk through the world around me. How dare I? That's not sharing hope to keep Jesus to myself. I must come back out of the house of the Lord and into the world around me with the instruction of God and the word of the Lord on my lips move boldly into the world with the good news of Jesus to bring the hope of God and the love of Christ with me into people's lives. And if you are having trouble finding hope in this season, let me encourage you to become hope for someone else. To take the love of God with you into the world, to share the hope of Christ. If you want to find hope, share it. Live it, be it, in your world. There's a hope that we may all come to God. There's a hope that we go out from God into the world. And there is a, another hope, a third hope in this passage as well. It is the hope that um, there will be a peace that will last forever. There will be a peace that will last forever. It's, it's honestly, it's one of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible to me. Um, Verse 4 of, of this chapter. Let me read it again. It says that he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks 
And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Uh, I actually have a, I have a picture of this. I have an icon of this um, that sits in my office. Um, by, uh, uh, go ahead and put that back up on the screen, by uh, an icon writer by the name of Kelly Latimer. Uh, the title of it is Christ Swords to Plowshares. Uh, and I, uh, I love this so much, this idea of Jesus. Slowly, ever so slowly, too slowly for me some days. Bringing peace into the world. Taking our aggression and our violent ways and turning them into peace right before our eyes. We have learned to live with violence to the point that we are almost numb to it. Our news doesn't even bother to report on everyday violence anymore. And what constitutes everyday violence today is so far beyond what constituted it a decade ago. There have been more mass shootings in America this calendar year than there have been days in the calendar. And we barely even talk about it. We have become so used to violence. We can't allow ourselves to become numb to violence. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to acknowledge it. But if I'm going to be a person who pursues peace, I can't pretend it doesn't exist. And so we must acknowledge war. As wars rage around the world, in the Ukraine in particular, right now I'm mindful of terrible, terrible events, the, the horrific shooting in Colorado Springs a couple of weeks ago, the tragic deaths that preceded that at the universities of Idaho and Virginia, things that happen in our own neighborhoods, in our own cities. So much violence, and it's not the way it's supposed to be. We cannot allow ourselves to begin to pretend that it's normal. It's not. It's not the way it's supposed to be, and it's not the way it will be. The promise of Jesus is that swords are turning into plowshares. And we may say, yes, Lord, do that with them. Fix that situation over there. But i got to tell you that, honestly, this process of, of turning swords into plowshares begins with me. It begins with each one of us. It begins with, with each one of us acknowledging that that we have within us the capacity for violence or hatred, that we hold grudges, that we hold on to anger, that we let resentment fester within us, that in our heart of hearts, that in our heart of hearts, if we can, we would wipe 
them out, whoever they are. There's a hope that it won't always be that way. I have that hope because, because God has already started to work on my heart in that way. I know who I am, and I know that I can be an ugly person inside. But I know that Jesus is changing that, has begun changing that. I am not who I used to be by the grace of God. Swords have already begun to become turned into plowshares in my own life. And so I feel this hope very deeply that there will be peace someday because I have it today and I didn't used to. Maybe that's true for you too, that Christ has begun to bring peace into your life and so you have hope. But maybe you're aware that there's still something that needs to be worked on for you, that you still hold on to that animosity or that anger, that hurt or that hatred. There's hope that it won't always be that way, that there will be peace and that that peace will last forever. And that begins with us choosing that with us choosing to live in hope, with us choosing to go up to the house of the Lord and then back out into the world with the good news of Jesus, with us choosing to allow God to turn swords into plowshares. The end of our passage uh, is a call um, from Isaiah to uh, all of us where he says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Oh, come and let us do that. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing, even when it doesn't feel hope-filled, to try to walk in hope, to bring hope into a hopeless world? Even when the world seems overwhelmingly dark, are you willing to be hope in the darkness, just as God is hope in the darkness for us? Walk in hope. Carry with you a hope for all peoples to come and know God. Carry with you a hope to be the love of God in the world around you. Carry with you a hope that peace will take hold by letting it take hold in you. Uh, author Anne Lamont wrote uh, several years ago a line that, um, that sticks with me. It feels true to me. She wrote that hope begins in darkness. That resonates with me. If it wasn't dark, we wouldn't need hope. Right? If everything was fine, what would we have to hope for? We have hope as a gift from God because everything isn't fine. In 1 Corinthians, um, Paul writes that, that three gifts of God are greater than all of the gifts. Faith and hope and love. But the greatest one is love, and, and I think that's because there will be a day that faith and hope don't have to exist anymore. We won't have to have hope anymore because things will be better. But until they are, it is the gift of God for us. And so as we come into our Advent season, may we be reminded 
that there is hope in the person of Jesus Christ and in his people for the world. Father, we thank you for the hope that you have given to us through Jesus. That hope is sometimes hard for us to uh, come by. It's hard for us to hold on to. It's hard for us to acknowledge. It's hard for us to live out. But Father, we pray that you would teach us. Father, may we come to your house and find hope. May we go out from your house and be hope. And may we know in us the hope of violence turning to peace. Father, may these things be true. In the name of Jesus. Amen.